Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cage Division podcast with a very, very special guest because we're kicking off a new series on data and we've got a data guru here, Anand Mohan, who I met through LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn, as many of you know, but we connected and we had a great conversation on data and I thought, you know, Anand, you need to be on the Cage Division podcast. I'd love for you to share your background, your experience, and on welcome to the show. Thanks, Gary. You are most welcome. I'm sure the introduction didn't cover nearly enough. So go ahead and take some two minutes or so and just tell the audience about your background and what you're working on and what you're passionate about. Now you stepped in it. If you really <laughs> want me to bore, <laughs> if you really want me to bore all your listeners, uh, I'd say my background is kind of eclectic. I started off in um, economics and computer science, which are both kind of data heavy. So I got uh, bachelor's degrees in those fields. And then I got a master's in econ and MBA along the way. And uh, temporary insanity, I even went and got a law degree. <laughs> all of this adds up. <clears throat> all of this adds up basically to keeps coming back to data. And my career is always focused on data. Yeah. And, you know, the work has been with the big five consulting uh, with the government, with finance, uh, law firms. So it's been all over the place. But the central theme of my career has always been coming right back to data. Yeah, and I love that. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is because you do have the two perspectives. And by those two perspectives, I mean, you've got a commercial and industry perspective. But you also have a, a unique federal perspective, which I think is, uh, you know, when you talk about big data and then you talk about the government, it, it, you know, there's so much information there. If you would take me into sort of the Wayback Machine and get me started on when you first knew that you had interest in things that were legal, things that were business, but at the heart, was data. When did you first know that? Um, for that, I would have to credit my experience at what was then KPMG. So I joined KPMG way back in the late 90s and kicked off a consulting career. And I was immediately placed in the what, what used to be in those days, the data warehousing and business intelligence group. Mm. And that's where I, so to speak, grew up. And I was exposed to both the public sector side of the business which was state and local government as well as federal government. So a lot of data there. But I was also exposed to the financial services sector, which was all of the Wall Street firms. Mm. So tons of data there too. And given that at KPMG, you know, like all big five firms, they're really good about letting you grow your career. Mm. And in some ways it's really, they throw you in the water and they see whether you can swim. Yeah. So you learn to swim real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they throw they they threw you in, and when since you again you jumped straight in and you had perspective for both state and local and federal, and but you you all sounds like you also had some commercial. Uh, a, a lot of people I found uh, in 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 both the in, in industry and in the federal space, I find a lot of people are intimidated by the word data, but they're also they're even more intimidated. Or, or maybe it's not intimidated. Maybe it's confused by 
the term big data. So shed a little light on what you mean when you say big data. So big data is, um, I don't want to say a recent phenomena, but the terminology has been kicked around since about 2005, but it's really gained traction only in the, I would say 2015 onwards. And really what big data is, is we've got tons of data now. There are, there are four things that characterize big data as different from data. They talk about velocity of information, the, you know, the V's that they talk about with, with big data. So you got velocity of information, it's crazy. You got a variety of data that comes from all kinds of different sources. So when we look at data before, we talk about data that's neatly packaged in a database mm -hmm. that you can actually look at. Big data doesn't come in neat packages anymore. It's not data that can be neatly slotted into a database. It could be sensor data. It could be email data. It could be a Word document. It could be a PDF. It could be web logs. It could be anything. So it's unstructured data. Right, right, so you've right. Got, right. You've got velocity of information. This data is coming at you, especially things like sensor data. You're getting this stuff coming at you millions of bytes per second, right? Then you've got variety of data. You've got all kinds of different data coming at you at the same mm -hmm. time. And then you've got volume of data, which is you've got tons of data not just little bits of data, right? You got tons and tons of data coming, coming at you at the same time. These are the three big things that characterize big data. And some people also throw in veracity, for example, that's another V, where you got to take all this data and you got to make sure that it's good data, not just nonsense data coming at you. But that's what characterizes big data as separate from the data that you use on a day-to-day -day basis to run your business. Well, Does it make I, sense? Yeah, I love that explanation because I, I had, I sat down with the CFO of a, uh, a conglomerate that owns, they own 13 different businesses and they have, uh, they have used the data and they've, they've, they're extremely well run and they have used the data that their systems provide from their business operations and they've, they know those metrics backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. His problem was not with the structured data. His problem was he doesn't know what to ask to start to explore some of the big data options. He wouldn't like, how do I, how do I, what other information would I draw in? How do I draw in this, this different information to start to give me different perspective on the data that I already have. What are your thoughts on that? That's a fantastic question. It's something that I get from multi, multiple clients all the time. And the short answer to it is you need to find your pain points. So I'll give you an example. You drive to work, your car is now extremely you know, full of sensors, whether we realize it or not, all the cars that we drive, if you drive a car that was built after 2000, it's full of sensors, it's collecting all kinds of data that's going into a central computer, it's making your ride go smoothly. You got all that data on, on your car. Do you really, you as an individual, can you use that data? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But unless you're a data nerd like I am, <laughs> you probably are not gonna go hack into your car's onboard computer to try to figure out what that data is. Now, if you're the business CFO, like you said, and you've got a pain point, so for example, you've got a Facebook page, or you've got a LinkedIn account, 
and you've got people coming and visiting that LinkedIn account. You want to convert visits, eyeballs on the page into actual sales. Mm. That's when you want to start analyzing who's visiting this page and can we, while being legal and not invading people's privacy, can we call these people back or connect with them in some meaningful way to find out whether there's a possibility to convert this initial contact into a fruitful conversation, into actual business. Those are the kinds of things that I would call, I would characterize that as maybe not exactly a pain point, but that's the kind of thing that I would call an opportunity or a pain point or something to do to build on. Because at the end of the day, whether you're talking government or private sector, we're in business, so to speak, to serve a purpose, right? To right. convert something, to make sales or to act in the public interest. So you're trying to do something out there. And if you can do something, move the needle further in the mission by using the data, that's what big data can do. So, okay. I, I love the way you describe that because so many people can quickly grasp or state a pain point. But what do you think is the curiosity that allows some to go and explore different data points and others just aren't that comfortable with that curiosity and they sort of get stuck in the pain? What would be, what are your thoughts on that? And what is your advice to that? So I, I attack that from two angles. One is there's a lot of things that people can do just by asking simple questions. So, you know what they say, kiss, keep it simple, right? Right. You don't have to overanalyze the problem. So even if you're not a tech guru, you can start asking what if questions. You're all used to doing stuff with spreadsheets. What's a spreadsheet? Basically number of what if scenarios. So mm. if I was your CFO, for example, and I had all this unstructured data that's coming at me, I would start saying, what if I could do X if I had Y, right? What if I could increase sales if I had more data from on contacts that are coming in through our webpage, if I could find out who's coming in and stuff like that? What if I could figure out how, what my receivables are, not, not just through my SAP system or my ERP system, but what if I could find out which of my receivables are likely to default based on looking at financial data that's publicly available? You know, the what if questions. And many of these things, like I said, you don't have to be a tech guru. You have to be an expert in your own area. So for example, the CFO is obviously a finance expert and he can put on his finance hat and say, what are the things that if I had the data, I could be empowered to do to run my business better or to do better in what I'm doing. In other words, yeah. completely visionary thinking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, I find, I find that a lot of people get stuck with that. They get stuck thinking outside of the box, but you were yeah, about to say, then, I interrupted you. You were about to say, and then, no, no, so no, go no, ahead. No, no, no. The, the beauty of this approach is you don't have to think about the data at all. You just got to think about your job. Obviously, if you've gotten to be the CFO, you're good at what you do, and you can put it in your perspective. In other words, you're not thinking outside your little box. You're thinking in the CFO world, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What could I do if, I was, if the data was there? Forget about whether the data is there or not. Just think about what I could do if it was there. Yeah. The second half of it, yeah. And so the second half of it is now is when you sit down with a data expert, 
someone who's got the technical chops to figure out, A, if you have the data to translate your vision into reality, and B, if you do have the data, now you get into the nuts and bolts of it. How do you extract the data from what you've got? How do you mingle it after cleaning it? How do you go and join it up to the data that you currently have to make it value add? How do you do all the mechanics of it? Mm-hmm. So that's something that a data person should be able to help you with. Mm-hmm. And we all bring different skills to the table, right? I, I'm, I'm dangerous in the world of finance, having spent a lot of time there, but I'm not a CFO. So I'm not going to, I can understand what the CFO is saying, for example, but I'm not going to be able to come up with all the questions that he or she can come up, come up with off the bat. But I can provide value by understanding that, translating that into data speak, and then coming back and saying, is this what we're talking about? Mm. And at the end of the day, what is it? It's all about collaboration, right? Yeah, you're correct. You're, you're spot on there. And one of, the, one of the tricks that I love to use is it's along the lines of the what if is once you start to help the executive think outside of the box, have them uh, in, in, in the same vein of what if it's what would have to be true. In or, so in order to achieve, if this is something that you, we all agree that we want to achieve, what would have to be true in order for this to happen? And that gets you on sort of a fact-finding um, mission, but sort of in the same vein there. So when, when you're, uh, talk to me about um, coming up the, with, you, so let's say that you've worked with an executive, you've helped to frame up the vision and you get a clear understanding of say, okay, I understand uh, the, the what ifs and, the, and talk to me about the next step in that, which would be going back to your data team and, and, and helping translate the what ifs into the question that you need to ask of your data. Good, good question. And the, the, the process there, if you will, because now we're moving from vision and strategy into tactics. The process really there is you go back and talk to the person or persons who are closest to the data. And this would probably not be your C-level officer, wouldn't be your CFO. It would be your database administrator or whoever it is, your web, web, admin, web uh, server administrator who's actually collecting that data so you can see what data they have. Mm. They'll speak tech speak. So you've got to be proficient at understanding what they're saying or at least you know, work with them to get an understanding of what you are actually collecting. Mm. And if you're not collecting something, there's your answer. You go back and tell the CFO, hey, you're not collecting it right now. You could start collecting it to take care of your what ifs, to take care of other stuff, but right now you're not doing it. So that's one way to do it. But after working with these people you know, on the ground, you've got to be able to extract the data out. That's step one. After you extract it, you've got to be able to do what in data we call profiling, which is a fancy word for saying you've got to look at the data and see and, and basically dig into it to see whether it'll support what you're trying to do with it. And let me, let me, let me actually make that a little more non-technical because I hate it when someone says stuff that goes over my head, right? <laughs> right. <So. laughs> Which is the purpose so of the podcast is to, is to break it down and put it in simple terms. Exactly. So thank you. Exactly, yeah. right? So we all talk about data profiling. Yeah, wonderful word out there. It sounds cool. But what exactly is data profiling? 
data profiling is taking a piece of data, you know, a number of records of data that you're collecting, lines and lines on a spreadsheet, if you will. We all understand spreadsheets. So you got tons of lines on the spreadsheet and you've got columns on the spreadsheet. I want to see if column A is filled out for every single one of the 100 rows of data are collected. And I run statistics on it. So basically, if column A, let's say column A is the first name of a person, column B is the last name of a person, column C is the address of this potential customer, and I got 100 rows of this data. Well, is column A filled out in every single one of those 100 rows? If it is, the score is 100%. Great. Now I can actually check and see if column C is filled out. If column C is filled out, that's the address. I know I can do a direct mail and I can at least get their first name. So I got some personal contact and I can go contact these people and convert this into a mailing campaign. Mm. Now, if I find that I'm getting spotty results, I got 20% of column A filled out and maybe 5% of column C filled out, then I can go back and this is my data profile that I've just done. I've said, hey, you might be able to do something with this data, but you definitely can't do a mass mailing campaign, for example, to these 100 people that you got. So that's the kind of thing that you want to do. That's the profiling of the data that you do. That's step number two, to see whether it'll support the vision. Once you've got that done, then you've got to take this data and clean it up. Mm. And here's where the, this is an art more than a science really. And the person who is the keeper of the data is really your expert go-to person to figure out how to clean this data up. So for example, when you collect this, go back to the spreadsheet example, you've got these 100 rows of data. You're going to find that sometimes the first name and the last name is just jammed together, right? right. You got a name out there that says Carrie Rome, all jammed in together. And you know that, that's, and, the, and the second column is blank. So maybe this person's name is C-A-R-E Care, and the last name is Y Rome, or maybe it's C, and then the first name is just a letter initial C and the second name or the, or the surname mm -hmm. is E-R-E-Y Rome. Mm. You don't know. But if you go to the keeper of the data, that person is likely to be able to break it down for you and say, yeah, in 99% probability, this person's name is C-A-R-E-Y Carey, last name Rome, R-O-M-E Rome. Mm. Break it down that way. So you split this field into two different fields. You've got a first name, you've got a last name. That's how you clean this data up. Mm. So data cleansing is really important because otherwise, if you start letting mass errors, and we don't really talk about 100 rows now, but if you're talking about millions and millions of rows, it aggregates and you're going to get sure. all kinds of nonsense data out there. So data cleansing is important. Once you cleanse it, you stage it, you load it into your big data set, combining it with other data, and I'm fast forwarding now. And then the more important point after all this is when you start doing data reporting, visualizing and data prediction. That's the front end of it. So you got all this data, right? It's cool data. And as a data wonk, you've taken all this data, you're confident that the data is good. You've loaded it into some place where you can actually query on it, which is ask questions of the data. That's great. But you want this data to be accessible to a comparatively lay person so that they can actually ask questions against it. And increasingly, you're able to ask now without necessarily knowing querying languages. Natural language querying is becoming really common. So there's a tool out there. Microsoft uses a tool called Power BI, for example. Mm -hmm. Fairly inexpensive. And I'm not trying to make a plug for Microsoft here because 
I have no dog in this fight. Yeah. But Microsoft's a big player in the market, and Power BI will support natural language query. So, for example, you ask a question about how many people named Terry are in my database? You just you type it in exactly like that, right? And it'll go query the database. It'll convert that into SQL and say, select blah, blah from this particular database table where first name like Terry, right? And it'll right. come back and give you an answer and say, it'll promptly tell you 500. But you don't necessarily, you as a lay person, don't necessarily need to know SQL or some other querying language to ask that question. You can start asking business questions. And increasingly, you can build snazzy reports. You can build dashboards. You can build visualizations, which are basically aggregations of stuff. And that's where the gold is in your data. Because mm -hmm. if you've got terabytes of data, millions and millions and millions of rows of data, you're going to go blind if you go through this data row mm -hmm. by row <laughs> on something like a spreadsheet. What you really want is to aggregate this thing on something like a graph, especially a line graph, because then you can see if you've got a good enough spread on the axis, the x-axis or the y-axis of the data, then you can start seeing the, the rises and the dips, the, you know, the, the spikes and the dips out there, and mm. you can zero in on just those and ask the questions that you want. Okay, let's look at this particular dip in the data. Why did this happen? Could it be because of this? Could it be because of that? Now you're doing hypothesis testing. That's where the gold is in your data. Yeah. Okay. So, so many questions there. And I think it, I love the, the depth of the explanation. I want to go all the way back to profiling. And the reason I want to go back there is because uh, you, you, you simplified the term, but you're also looking at, it's a point of, uh, it's, it's a pivotal point because you're also saying, given the data that we have, these are the options realistically, but there's also an opportunity to go back to the executive owner of the data who's, who's really asking for the information to say, but if what, that you go back to that, what if, what other information, if you had, would make this even more powerful? But uh, the reason I'm glad you brought, placed so much emphasis on, the, emphasis on that is because you don't want to start charging down a path that you don't have information for completely but you want to get a clear understanding of realistically, where are we now? And, and you can build on that, but just understand where you are now. The other thing that I'm glad you went into detail on was the data cleansing, which I think most people, um, they only have appreciation for once they start to ask questions of their data and then they figure out that their data is not consistent and it's not been validated and then they have to go back it seems like what are your what are your thoughts on that you hit the nail on the head on both points i would say in the data life cycle there are about five or six different inflection points and there is an inflection point where you can really add value that's even before the data profiling that we talked about when i go in on a greenfield type project the first thing that i recommend if don't know what data they already have is basically data discovery. And this can be done in one of two ways. Either you can do a data inventory to see what they have, which is basically just like the name suggests, you're invent doing inventory in a warehouse. You go talk to the people and find out what data you got. You can do that, or you can do a data modeling session. And data modeling is when you use a tool 
to basically go and look at the databases or other structures that you currently have and you build a picture, right? Mm. And people like pictures. We all like pictures that simplifies things, but it shows you where your data sits and it goes down in some cases to the data field level and says, you've got all this data sitting in this field and this field and this table and so forth. So data modeling and data discovery, data inventory is really one inflection point where you can add a tremendous amount of value. That's assuming that you don't know what you got, right? Mm. So that's the first step. Once you've got that, like you correctly said, yes, now we come to, all right, so we've got this data and you've got all these what if questions. Now you can do the profiling to see whether it'll support what you want to do with the data, right? That's an important inflection point out there because you can go, you can, you adjust course. If the data doesn't support what you want it to do, well, here's your opportunity to at this point make a course correction and start collecting that data to the standards that you want if this is a path you want to charge down. If on the other hand, you're just doing a fishing expedition and saying, hey, maybe I'm interested in this, maybe I'm not, does the data support it or not? Here's where you cut bait and run, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it, gives you, it gives you a chance to do that before you expend a whole lot of money, re other resources, right? And the cleansing is a critical part of it because so many projects die on the wine because you come in with a preconceived notion that, oh yeah, yeah, we've got the data to support. Well, if data is not clean, by the time it gets down to analysis, it's all nonsense graphs. They look very pretty, but when you click on it, you're finding all kinds of problems with it. You've got these spikes in the line graphs, you've got these uh, valleys in the line graph, and you click on it. Um, I'll give you one example. I had a client out there who had a case, and they, they look at case ages, and there was one date that was completely out of whack. It said, this particular case had been open for 730,000 days. Mm. Obviously, obviously there's no case that's open for 730,000 days. And they went in and they found that someone had fat fingered data and instead of putting a 2004, they put in a 4004 as the year. Oh, so yeah. it's an easy fix. But the point is, if someone hadn't caught it on a line graph, it shows up as a crazy little dip. And guess what? Because of the x-axis and the y-axis on a chart, it scrunches up the rest of the chart and makes it look really horrible. Mm. So these are the kinds of things that you want to look at cleansing your data so that people don't lose confidence in your data. More than anything, it's that important word confidence, because if the data aggregated over millions of records is not relatively clean, I'm, I'm not expecting perfection here, right? But you want the data to be in the realms of the truth then people are going to completely lose confidence in it and say, hey, this is just junk data. So that's an, another important thing. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about uh, Power BI and, and using those tools, the, the other thing is when you start to show off the capabilities of a tool like that and people do what you would want them to do, which is ask more questions because they're excited about the data. If you don't have confidence in the data, then you're going to have a bit of egg on your face and, and then you're sort of, uh, sort of walking back. Um, and, and you really, you're sort of, you're stuck. Is it the technology or is it that we didn't do a good job analyzing our data? And most often uh, the, the technology is pretty sound. So it leaves you hanging out there. Um, so I, I love this conversation and it's, it's um, where we're getting close to the end here. I want to ask you one more question because you've had such a, a neat career touching different different aspects of 
a data th moving through uh, both industry and federal. What do the next 10 years look like for you? And what do you see from a data standpoint, um, a, to use your word, what are the inflection points that you see in the next 10 years? I'll tell you there are three things, three trends in the industry right now, which are kind of exciting at the same time, very scary. One is you've got artificial intelligence, machine learning, those kinds of technologies coming online. And this is important because for big data, especially, you know, regular data, online data, online transaction processing data, things like that, people have gotten used to that stuff. But for big data, increasingly these technologies are going to provide the technical skills gap, they're gonna close that. Mm. So you're gonna get all these big data type projects are going to be helped. I'm not gonna say it's gonna be completely done by artificial intelligence, but a lot of those projects will be helped by artificial intelligence and that'll close the tech skills gap that you're having right now on many of these projects. So that's one. The second big thing is putting on my lawyer hat out here. It's a big thing in the industry right now, privacy. Yes. Because yeah, you got all this data. Yeah, you can use it, but is it legal to use it? Is it ethical to use it? Can we use it? All these things are happening right now. And as you're aware, you know, the European Union came out with uh, general data protection rule, GDPR, a uh, year and a half, two years ago. And California got into the act with CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act, uh, which just kicked in in 2020. And then all the other states, one by one, are getting on the bandwagon, Maine's coming on. And there's talk now about a national privacy law in the United States. So this is going to, in some ways, dictate it's going to regulate and dictate what you can do with the data. Yeah. So yeah, we got the technical capability to do it. You got this wonderful artificial intelligence that's going to allow you to do it. But is it legal? Is it ethical? What are all the other hoops that I got to jump through in order to do this? Do I need to inform the people that I'm doing analysis on? Do I need their permission? Do they need to, what they call opt in, affirmatively mm -hmm. give their data? Or do they opt out? In other words, when they find out that their data is being used, is there a way for them to say, I don't want you to use it anymore, opt out? Um, all these different kinds of legal questions that come in out there. And there's a cottage industry already on CCPA and a whole bunch of other things and data privacy. So using the data, but using responsibility within the confines of the law, that's the second big thing that's gonna happen. Mm. And the third big thing that's gonna happen with data is you're gonna see a plethora of tools and technologies around the usage of the data. You've already got, like I mentioned, Power BI doing natural language querying and things like that. But increasingly, the democratization of data means that people are gonna see data out there. And, and you don't have to be a data wonk or use a data tool to see it. One good example is we are in election season coming up now. You're gonna get bombarded in all your digital online media with various electoral maps, for example. Every single one of those things, it's a neat infographic, it's a picture. But you can click on that infographic and drill down from the state of Texas into a particular congressional district within the state of Texas. You can go look at you know, different candidates, different votes. You can link to a candidate, see their bios. All of that is an example of data. And it's completely democratized because guess what? 
a person who is sitting in front of a tablet or a smartphone or a, any kind of computer who is not a computer whiz at all is going to have all of that data accessible to them at their fingertips. So there is a danger of data overload there, but at the same time, you're making data accessible to people who are not necessarily data experts so that they can then use the most powerful computer of all, their brain, yes. to do their own analysis and yeah. figure out whether this is something they like, agree with, or disagree. Ah, I love it. I love it. And uh, this has been wonderful. I think it's just a, a great conversation about data, a great conversation to, uh, to educate people and really help them, what we like to say, to help them unlock their caged vision. And in this series, unlock their cage vision using data. So, Anand, thank you for being on the show. Uh, I know this is going to be a great episode, and many listeners are going to get a lot of value. And I can't wait to release it. Thank you for having me on, Carrie. It was a pleasure. You are welcome, and we'll chat soon. Okay. Take care. Bye.